This is Austin Pace with BYU-Idaho Radio, and I'm joined today by Sister Sharon Eubank, Director of Humanitarian Services for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sister Eubank has been employed by the Church's Welfare Self-Reliance Department since 1998. In 2011, she was named the Director of the Church's Humanitarian Work Worldwide. From 2017 to 2022, Sister Eubank served as a First Counselor in the General Relief Society Presidency. She now continues as the Director of Humanitarian Services. Thanks for joining me, Sister Eubank. My pleasure. Awesome. So what first sparked your interest in humanitarian work? I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. I think inside every person is a desire to do something good for other people, to help them. Uh, the opportunity that we have is to find ways to live that every day. Right. I just get to do it for my work, and I'm really grateful. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so how has your testimony grown since working with the church's humanitarian efforts? It's a good question. I think all the time about people who are in trouble and they pray. They pray to God uh, to ask for help. And God answers that prayer in lots of different ways. But I don't know why he wouldn't send his church to help people. And so the, the humanitarian work that the church does, that the members do, are really the answers to people's prayers. And I really like that. Right. So you'd say, like, I guess a blessing for you has been being a blessing for other people and an answer to other people's prayers. Absolutely. And, and that strengthens my testimony that God answers prayers and that he sends us. And that if we pay attention to the Holy Ghost, we can do something for other people. So what kind of impact does the church's worldwide humanitarian services have on different parts of the world? Every member of the church is trying to live their covenant, you know, to mourn with those that mourn and, and to, to help other people and be aware. But we can do things individually at a certain scale, but collectively as the church, we can do things at a much greater scale. And so the church works with multinational organizations, the people that work with multiple countries all over the globe. Uh, they work with national governments. We work with local communities. And so to see that scale is really the exciting thing for me. What can members of the church do and other people who love God and love humanitarian work? When we work together, what can we do at a really big scale? Right. I guess the question I have is what do you do? Because you're, you're working with tons of different people on just different projects and throughout the entire world. So what is your job specifically in interacting with different governments or different humanitarian services worldwide? My specific job, it's interesting that you asked, uh, people always imagine that I'm running projects, but I don't. The church has 22 different areas, regional offices run by area presidencies, and they really have, they get to set the priorities for their areas. And then they suggest projects and we help get the funding for that. And then we do the evaluations and follow up. But there are some things uh, that go across all those areas. And there's a one global priority for the church that was set by President Nelson. And it's the well-being of children that are zero to five. Because that affects everything else that happens in their life. And it's true in every single regional area. So the one global priority for the church that we're working at is that kids have a healthy birth. Their mother survives the birth. They get their immunizations. They have clean water to drink so they don't die of diarrhea. Uh, they get... Uh, proper protein so that their brains develop, they, they are breastfed, which is the healthiest uh, intervention, and that they enter primary school. If we could do those things, a lot of other humanitarian problems would go away. Today you'll be speaking to the school about the sacred life of trees, and I thought that was an interesting topic, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what that, that brings. So what inspired the topic of your talk? I have a friend who, uh, he's an Oxford Don in England. He teaches at Oxford University. And he sent me a book that had recently been translated from the German called The Secret Life of Trees, The Hidden Life of Trees, by a man named Peter Voldemann. And I'd never heard of it before. But the premise is 
that we see a tree standing alone in a field without knowing that underneath the ground, the trees of all the, the roots of all the trees around there are interconnected and that they help each other. And they have, he calls them tree friendships. And I'll be talking about that in the devotional, but that there's a whole system of communication and support and and community that's going on underneath the ground that we don't recognize or know about. So it's a, he's, a, he's a forestry uh, manager. He manages an old growth forest in Germany. So these are observations and, and from his research. But it was so interesting to me and the parallels to our lives in service and our lives as, as disciples, it struck me. So I've never talked about it before. BYU Idaho is the place. Awesome. So could you give us a little, I guess, insider on a little bit about what you'll be talking about? He really gave kind of three examples, and one of them is uh, the, the friendship that trees have. Even when a tree gets cut down, its, its nearby neighbor that has been so bonded to it and their roots are intertwined will continue to send sugar and nutrients under the ground to that stump, and stumps can stay alive for decades because their friend is supporting them. And then I'm going to tell the story uh, just happened in the news two weeks ago about what it means not to compete for resources as friends, but to support each other and cooperate. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure everybody else that will be attending is looking forward to that. So what do you wish students and staff will take away from your message, and what's your call to action? We all, well, we sometimes think that humanitarian work has to be done with people who have a lot of money or that by big organizations, and my message really is all of us can participate in humanitarian work. We all have the resources within ourselves to be able to do things that are important around us. And uh, the other thing that is, I think, important is you don't need to do extra things. You don't need to be wealthy. You don't need to be part of a huge organization to have a huge impact. But the focus is local for us. We're most powerful in the places where we know everybody, where we speak the language, where we live every day. I can travel to a faraway place and do that, but I'm only there for a week. And so I can have a limited impact there, but I can have a big impact where I live. And I don't ever want us to discount the things that we do every day that make a, a difference. So I'm going to propose a list of, I just sat down two nights ago and I wrote down 30 things that people could do in their own community that would make a difference. So I'll present that, I'll post it on social media, and I, I hope people will try it and, and write about their experience. Awesome. I really like that because it, it's like you said, a lot of people have that desire to help, but they think, all right, I need to go to Africa or to Europe and, and do something huge. But it really does start with, you know, what we do here. Jesus Christ, and if you think about his life, he, of course, he traveled and he helped so many people, but he also helped everybody that was just around him, right? He really focused on those that he was with, and he helped them become better. So I think I really like that. In humanitarian work, we think of big projects. We think of foreign countries, but we can really do, we can do everything that we need to here in our own community. So I really like that. Thank you for sharing. You bet. So in 2023, the church provided humanitarian aid to Mexico, in Mexico, to over 1 million people in areas such as food and water, education, health care, and disasters and emergencies. So could you tell me a little more about the humanitarian aid the church provides in those categories in Mexico and how you will continue to aid those in need? What was it about Mexico that had you your interest? Why did you pull that out? Uh, I read an article a couple days ago, I reread it today, about the numbers that came in from the past year on January 25th, I believe it was. And it really just struck my interest. I, I have family from Mexico. So, you know, it's a big part of my of my culture. And I, I love that the church is doing that and helping those people there. So it really just caught my attention. 
I'm glad that you asked about Mexico. Mexico's such an important country. It's an important country in the world. It's an important country in the church. More than a million members of the church live in Mexico. Uh, it, we do a lot of trade, uh, you know, among Mexico and, and other countries. They have a, a lot of things that are going on. There's, there's cyclical natural disasters. There's always cyclones and hurricanes that are going through. Uh, there's the crisis that's going on in Central America. So a lot of people are transiting through Mexico, trying to get to farther places up north. So there's a lot of pressures. There's a lot of natural cycles, and there's a lot of strength. The church is building four new temples around Mexico City. So, you know, people are interested in keeping those temple covenants, and what can they do to, to influence Mexican society? One of the most interesting projects that has happened is they have taken Just Serve, and it, they've translated Sirve Ahora, and apologize for my Spanish. And they've worked with the local government and other faiths and have posted really interesting projects that Mexican saints and their friends can work on to build up Mexican society. So in addition to the hurricane response, uh, to, the, to the helping of the migrant crisis that's going on, this, this proactive idea of we're going to use Sirve Ahora to do things is, is also great. They also work with the local, the geographic DIFs, uh, to help people particularly with disabilities. There's a lot of wheelchair uh, fitting and repair and things going on, which is always a benefit to society to allow people with disabilities to participate in sports and school and work. And uh, that's been one of our longstanding projects in Mexico. Th- these projects that are happening, was that kind of started by just a group of saints in Mexico? Or was that was that like the church's focus to say, hey, let's... Let's talk to the saints in Mexico and really help them build up their communities. Or was that a proactive choice that the saints in Mexico cho- the, the saints in Mexico chose? These projects really came from the area presidency and their staff and what they hear from congregations all around Mexico, the, the things that are important to them that they need. So as they do their annual planning, they 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 speak to relief society presidents and elders quorum presidents and stake presidents and and area seventies. And they say, what are the needs? What should we focus on? And then that becomes part of their plan. Then when they send that to Salt Lake City, they ask for a specific budget. They manage that budget. They evaluate the budget. And that's how it works. That's awesome. So what humanitarian projects is the church currently involved with? And what projects do you have in mind for the future? I always say that we, in a conceptual thing, we have four things to offer. We have cash that's given by the members of the church and their friends for humanitarian purposes. We have commodities. We have food, uh, things out of the Deseret Industries, food out of the Bishop storehouses, things that we can give. We have expertise in the volunteers, you know, the things that they know from their professions and they can give. And we also have a convening power. We're, we're a big enough player in different places that we can bring groups together who maybe wouldn't come together otherwise and, and say, let's cooperate and do something together. So for uh, we're, we're just now considering our largest project ever, we're bringing eight partners together that we've worked with for decades who focus on child nutrition. And we've said, what are the critical countries that we could cooperate? And they said, we, we usually compete against each other for, for funding. And you're asking us to cooperate and leverage each other's strengths. So it's a new model that we're really excited about. So this convening power is also really important. So Just Serve just partnered with Mr. Beast. Could you tell me a little, more, a little bit more about the partnership, the story behind it, and what good you believe will come from it? Mr. Beast, if you don't know, is the fourth most popular YouTuber. He has 500 million followers. And he's 22 years old. His name is Jimmy. And 
with all of the attention, Jimmy wanted to do something good with that. So he started Beast Philanthropy, which is a spinoff. It doesn't have as many followers as his main channel, but it has a lot of followers of people who are interested in philanthropy. And one of the things that they do is they, they give food to food banks, which is and, and, and people do funny activities, you know, in their communities to unlock certain amounts of food. At Beast Philanthropy, one of the people there is a member of the church, and she said, hey, we should get introduced to my church and their humanitarian work because I see some overlap there. So they came out to Salt Lake City. They met with our big um, advisory council for Just Serve that is church people, but it's also CEOs of other large organizations. And we made a proposal. Let's do something together. So Jimmy promoted on his channel the opportunity, if you sign up, if you register with Just Serve, and his audience are people 20 years, 25 years and younger, then you get a, a beast philanthropy just serve co-branded T-shirt, and people responded in an amazing way. So that tells me that people love to do something good in their community. They're just looking for ways to do it. And Jimmy brought attention to the people who follow him. Here's what we can do. So for every person who signed up on on uh, at, at Just Serve through Beast Philanthropy, it unlocked a half a pound of food to go into the food banks all over the country. So that's an exciting thing. Wow, that's that's huge. Yeah, I I remember. Like the first time I saw Mr. Beast video, I was like, "Dang!" Like something about him just draws draws you in, and he's just such a such a good person, and he really he's doing it to help other people, and that's kind of for me what humanitarian work is is using what you have to help other people who are in need. So I think this partnership with Mr. Beast and Just Serve is going to be fantastic for raising more service opportunities for people who have that desire, who want to help, but like you said, don't really know how to. Now they do. You know, they, they just saw their favorite YouTuber be like, hey, let's let's do something good. This is how you can do good. And if you do that, you here's here's a little reward for you and for those in need. So I think that's that's a really cool, a really cool partnership that that's been made. The thing I like about that partnership is you'll be able to unlock the food and that'll be a great thing. But then you're registered on Just Serve and you can find other opportunities as you're ready. So it lives long into the future. That was Sister Sharon Eubank, Director of Humanitarian Services for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Want to help? Go to www.justserve.org or download the free app. Thanks again for joining me, Sister Eubank. Thank you.